Welcome to the Your Purpose is Calling podcast, conversations with Christians who are finding their purpose, redefining work, and changing their world. I'm your host, Don Sadler. If you're inspired by stories of people who offer practical advice for loving well as a leader, then you're sure to be inspired by my guest today, Jesse Vance. Jesse is the founder of Kaleidoscope, a nonprofit that serves kids of diplomats, military personnel, and missionaries living overseas. In this episode, Jessie will share her story from growing up as an American aspiring dancer living in Uzbekistan to moving to New York and traveling the world, helping third culture kids find a sense of identity and belonging. Although Jessie's work is unique, her everyday approach to making those around her feel seen, loved, and heard is filled with practical advice for leading well. So now, let's meet Jessie. Hi, Jessie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so glad you're here. So um, for our listeners who don't already know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, my name is Jessie Vance. I am the founder and director of Kaleidoscope, which is an organization that works with third culture kids, um, which honestly, no one ever knows what that means. So third culture kids are people or people and children who live and work overseas with the intention of returning home to their home country at some point in time. So what are some examples? Um, examples are like missionary kids, which mm-hmm. are very close to my heart, and military brats, anyone in the diplomatic corps, uh, international businessmen, and their children, and specifically the people that grow up overseas during their developmental years. So it's different Mm. than someone who, as an adult, decides to move to Swaziland or something like that. But when your parents move and then you grow up in a different culture, you take on you adapt and take on pieces of that culture within like who you are as a person. Yeah. So then when you, you know, become an independent adult on your own, you always will have like parts of multiple cultures that are have created you to be who you are. And that's incredible. It's very valuable and exciting. Um, but as you imagine can imagine, it's also sometimes a little bit confusing and complex and um, you don't understand certain jokes or pop culture references or social cues yeah. perhaps in a country that you were born in and that your name is from and your passport's from, yeah. um, but you didn't learn you know, all, most of like your social development yeah. um, in that country. So yeah, those are, that's a longer, slightly longer explanation of what a third culture kid is. No, I love that. And, and when you and I first met, um, it was so interesting because I have to admit it's not even a, I never even thought of that. I never even thought about <laughs> those things for kids that grow up in other cultures. And, um, and it's such, you know, in, in business, we talk a lot about niche markets or niche markets, however, right. We were talking about whatever you say that, but, um, 
but this is really the epitome of that, but also just the epitome of something else that we've talked about, which is just um, this Instagram wisdom, which is to find your tribe and to love them hard. And, um, and I love that that is exactly what you do. And we're going to talk a lot about that in this episode. Um, but just to kind of get a better context, tell us how you got interested. Like, how did you find this group? Why is this group important to you? Why are you so passionate about serving th- third culture kids? Yeah, because I mean, like what you said, these are my people. This yeah. is my tribe. Um, I grew up in Central Asia. I moved there when I was six years old, and I did all of my schooling and growing up years in this tiny country in the middle of nowhere um, mm-hmm. that no one knows the name of. And I graduated from high school yeah. in the capital city. And What was the country? The country is Uzbekistan. Yeah, yeah. Yep, um, and the capital is Tashkent. So I graduated from Tashkent International School at grade 12, and I moved to New York. Yeah. Um, having lived in the U.S., well, from ages one through five, and then one year in middle school, mm. which is a whole podcast in itself, because you can imagine <laughs> <laughs> one year in the U.S. in middle school. It's not, not fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, but those, that's just, that's the way that I grew up. Yeah. And, um, Growing up, I actually got kind of a unique opportunity to spend my entire high school years in Uzbekistan. A lot of people didn't do that because the education was not really strong. Um, At that point in time, I was dancing Mm -hmm. and had dreams of becoming a professional. And I committed to the the dance school in Mm -hmm. post-Soviet countries is excellent. Um, So I stayed there for those reasons um, and some other family stuff. And I, well, a lot of my peers went off to boarding school or back to the States for high school. So I was in Uzbekistan watching like these younger kids growing up and kind of struggling with some of the same things that I had also walked through. But you know, when you're like 17, 18, you're like, I know everything. Right, right. And my 15 year old brother was like, oh, you know, you really need help. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, not quite that way, but that yeah. was definitely where God started placing this need on my heart of like, hey, there's not really, there's, there's not something that exists to help third culture kids um, identify some of the struggles and also identify the enormous benefits and just recognize, talk about them and um, move past the challenges in a healthy manner and embrace the benefits in a healthy manner. I am a little bit biased, but I think that third culture kids have incredible potential for leadership and world change Mm -hmm. just because of the worldview and all of this that they like that we all receive from such a young age. Yeah, um, yeah. For example, President Obama actually is yeah. a third culture kid. <laughs> there you go. And some other, you know, good like big names in leadership. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of cool. You know, it's so interesting because when we talked about this at first, it's so easy to think, okay, well, I don't have anything in common with a third culture kid. I grew up in America. I grew up in a suburb. I can't relate to that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, But when we started talking, I remember asking, well, what are the specific needs that third culture kids have? I was so surprised that those needs are so universal and so relatable. It's a different, you know, maybe a little different slant on it. Um, But tell us about some of the needs that kids growing up in that world 
might have that you want that you're passionate about addressing yeah um so there's you know a handful of books and resources and stuff like that that talk about similar needs at kaleidoscope what we've identified as the three main needs are a um challenge to discover your personal identity mm-hmm. within these two contrasting cultures um a sense of overwhelming or people do use different words but overwhelming or disenfranchised or accumulated grief Mm -hmm. Um, the third culture kids life is filled with transition whether it's your personal transition or the world moving around you and so those things um, add up they just add up and sometimes they're little griefs and sometimes they're really big but it leads to um, some really some if not processed properly you know if not Um, grieved properly, which sometimes you're like, oh, I just moved home. So yeah. Like, do I have the chance to grieve? Um, and as a kid, you don't understand the importance of that. Yeah. Anyways, I'm getting on my soapbox. No, um, it's good. But <laughs> so disenfranchised grief is definitely the second need, and then uh, or the, the place to process that accumulated grief. And then the third is um, what we like to call an imbalance of maturity, and that one's really interesting because. Third culture kids tend to mature very quickly yeah. um, for different different responsibilities or I don't know different things experiences that happen in their lives. Um, but then at some point you have to catch up with that. So yeah. oftentimes it's in the return to the passport country, like the college years or post college years, yeah. that that maturity has to like catch up with you, yeah. and you see some of the struggles. Um, and again, I'm just so I'm so big on processing and telling your story that you know when you get to that space of oh wow now I'm like a 22 year old and I didn't learn some of these important social things or I realize I have all this like backed up grief what do I do about it that's where the, yeah. the kind of coming back around of maturity happens and yeah. a new growth experience for sure. So your work through Kaleidoscope, what you aim to do is to kind of track with those kids when they're in that other culture so that when they come back to their passport country that they have a uh, just an easier transition point back in. Is that essentially? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's actually a few organizations that work with third culture kids upon return to their passport country. Yeah. Um, usually they're associated with colleges and they're for that like 18-year-old yeah demographic yeah um and we start working with kids as young as four because Mm -hmm. we believe that like hey there's that's a lot of years to pack into like a week-long re-entry program yeah and i like have people that love those re-entry programs and speak great things about them um and i highly value them for what they do but i just think that there's other like the processing along the way and Uh, we talk about our toolbox a lot too like mm-hmm. giving kids tools because mm-hmm. um, we only see these kids the way that we work we only see them for a week at a time yeah um, and so we pack in everything we can into that week-long program and including like tons of games and silly activities and just building relationship and spending time with them yeah. but we want to hand them things and teach them things that are going to last for the rest of their lives that they can right. hold on to as tools for the next time 
yeah. a move comes along or their best friend leaves or um, they like commit a cultural faux pas that's very embarrassing w- yeah. in whatever culture it may be. Yeah. And they have something to hold on to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm so mesmerized by everything you said <laughs> that I just completely lost my way. Um, so I have a couple of questions. Um, about what you just said. It's so fascinating to me. Can you give us just kind of an idea of social cues? Like that's something that I think growing up in America, we take for granted how much we just understand about our culture. So do you have some examples of like social cues that are difficult for third culture kids to adapt to when they come back to the States or back to their passport country? I think one thing we talk about, like, it's a really simple one, mm-hmm. um, but we talk about it with kids. It's just greeting. Mm. Like, just a t- like a standard greeting. And yeah. honestly, at 29 years old, after living in the U.S. for almost 10 years now, I still have these moments of, like, ugh, what do I do? <laughs> Is this a handshake situation? Is this a, you know, we grew up giving kisses on the cheek. Like, that was just the proper yeah. way to greet someone. And, yeah. um... And actually, I moved to Long Island when mm-hmm. I first moved here to New York, and there's a ton of Italian. They do the same thing. They do the kiss on the cheek thing, right. um, but then like some people do, some people don't. You don't know. Yeah. There are many times that I've accidentally kissed people on the mouth. It was just <laughs> unfortunate. Um, yeah, and it's like that. It's such a silly little thing. Yeah. But it's the first impression that you make on someone, and yeah. it's the and it sets the tone for like. Do I feel comfortable here or do I feel uncomfortable? Like, am I, you know, do, do I belong here? I think right. that's such a key thing in um, talking about, like, yeah, third culture kids are that that niche audience, that group of people. But there's so many things, like, growing up overseas isn't that different. Um, right. And the struggles and challenges that TCKs work through are not that different from anyone else they're just intensified sometimes yeah so anyone that you meet on the street you're like oh how is this interaction going to go um but then you throw in those different like oh do I kiss them do I shake their hand do I hug them do this like a no physical contact person um you know some cultures like tap foreheads like can you imagine walking down the street in New York City and like trying to tap someone on the forehead but that's for some people that's a very yeah. normal gesture of greeting and that yeah feeling like off balance from the very get-go of yeah. introducing yourself to someone yeah. um is it's not definitely one of those things that like everyone can relate to but just yeah. imagine it like a little bit intensified. Yeah. Um, and not just that awkward person, like your inner child, like talking to yourself, but you have two of them and one is speaking English and one is speaking Russian. Right, and right. Like, what do I do in this yeah. situation? So yeah. that's probably our easiest example. And just the sense of belonging too. Like everyone in the world can relate, especially as a kid, to wanting to belong. For sure. But we all know that we essentially belong geographically somewhere where a third culture kid has a whole other different level of belonging. Do I belong in this country? Do I belong in that country? Absolutely. And I think the challenge there is feeling like you don't belong anywhere. Yeah. And that's one of the things... um, that's one of the things we teach on at Kaleidoscope yeah. is the ability to belong everywhere instead of yeah. nowhere. Yeah. Um, and that's just such a precious gift to give, even to, like, it's something that I'm still working on. Yeah. For sure. Is yeah. learning that, yeah, my home can be anywhere. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't mean 
just because I'm an American living in Uzbekistan, I'm always going to speak Russian with an accent, right. but I can still belong there. Yeah. Just because I'm a slightly awkward American yeah. living in the middle of New York City. Yeah. I can still belong here for sure. And I think that's just such a good transition. So you are, you're a believer. Um, Kaleidoscope is not a, you work with a lot of missionary kids, um, but Kaleidoscope is not a Christian organization, correct? Yes, that is correct. We are technically a non-religious nonprofit, or Mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that's what it says on our tax form. Yeah. Um, But we, yeah, I mean, I love Jesus and we definitely work with a lot of kids who also love Jesus. Um, But that's not, that's not the end all be all of what we do. We definitely believe in just being available and loving the kids that we work with. So as a believer, um, as believers, we understand that our identity is in Christ ultimately, and our sense of belonging really comes from that identity. We all have a desire to belong in a place or to a group of people with a tribe, um, but ultimately that's where identity comes from. So as a, as a Christian who has an understanding of that, serving a group of people who may or may not have that same uh, revelation or that same relationship. Talk to me a little bit about what that looks like. How does that inform the work that you do? It's a great question. Um, I mean, I think the easiest answer is the just that, you know, I believe in a God of love and that has called us to love people really well. Um, and that no matter what some kid's story is, they're like, we're here to love them. And so that's super, that is like the most simplified version. Um, Second to that, I would just say that we, I love hearing kids' stories, and that's a big emphasis that we place in the time that we get with them, um, is we just want to hear their stories, and we do some activities that prompt them to tell us the, yeah, just the story of their life, the things that they've walked through in the past few years, um, the things that they feel proud of or vulnerable of or fearful of. Um, and for some people, like, the center of that story is God, and that's beautiful. And for yeah. some people, even for missionary kids who have Christian parents, um, sometimes the center of their story is not God, um, not right now. And, like, we still want to hear and celebrate their story and who they are no matter where they are in life and in their journey yeah yeah that's so good so earlier we talked about um again this is sort of instagram wisdom but i i bring it up because you actually live it out um which is to find your tribe and to love them hard and we talked about third culture kids but your tribe is actually you have three specific groups um, that make up your tribe. One is third culture kids. Um, two is staff that goes with you to other countries um, to facilitate uh, the programs that you do. And then three is a full-time staff that you have here um, in the States that even when you're traveling, they're sort of keeping everything running. And so those are three different groups, each with their own challenges, each with their own opportunities, each with their own needs. And you are one person sort of shepherding all three of those. So I just really wanted to spend some time here and kind of break that down. We love living in New York with lots of sirens in the background. <laughs> um, 
but uh, just kind of break that down um, of what that looks like for each of those groups. And I'm kind of in awe of you that you do that so well for each of those three groups. So how you do that for them, but also how you just take care of yourself in that process as well, um, because you do fly all over the world for much of the year. So um, let's just start with third culture kids. So what does it mean? You talked a little bit about this, but what does it mean to love that tribe well, that part of the tribe well? Um, yeah, wow. When you put it that way, it does feel overwhelming like yeah I do that don't I um I would I have to say though that that yeah I don't feel like I'm necessarily sitting around or standing around juggling all of these things and people and groups but that maybe I get to conduct them um but they all you know they're working together like in harmony, if we're going to continue that analogy. I love that analogy, um, by the way. That's brilliant. Juggling, conducting versus juggling. I love that. Yeah, it just came to mind right now. <laughs> no preparation whatsoever. <laughs> uh, but that is, that actually is really encouraging to me to visualize that for myself. Because um, sometimes it does feel like juggling and a little bit crazy, but... Yeah, that's good. Thanks, God, for that one. <laughs> um, anyways, yes, third culture kids. So how we love them. We talk a lot for our teams and in our training um, that our like utmost highest goal is that these kids feel valued, loved, and heard. Mm. Um, and you know, sometimes that means saying no to the lesson and saying yes to going outside to play a game. And sometimes that means saying. Uh, yeah, no to the schedule, and yes, it is like sitting down and talking with one kid that really needs you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's my it just I say it to my teams all the time, but to feel valued, loved, and heard, um, it's so it's so important. And what we teach them, the tools we give them, we hope that they're useful for the future. Yeah. But um, at the like the bottom line is if these kids walk away feeling loved, feeling seen and known, valued and heard, like that, that's our win. So for me, that looks like um, sometimes taking off my director's hat and, you know, ignoring the schedule for a little bit and playing Duck, Duck, Goose or holding the crying three-year-old who is like missing mom or whatever, whatever it is. Sometimes it's the really little things, getting a snack for the kid that doesn't feel good. Like uh, sometimes it's the tiniest ones, but those are the moments that stick with me. Like the one conversation that I had with the kid, the little, the one kid that walked up and like reached for my hand or something like those are when it comes down to it, like those are the special moments. Um, and the ones that stick for me for sure. I feel like that's such a, again, such a universal thing that um, anybody in any industry can relate to, that it just, you know, with all of our tasks and all of our ambitions and everything that we're trying to accomplish in our work, that sometimes it doesn't have to be a whole lot more complicated than that, just making someone feel valued, loved, and heard. It's just brilliant. It's such a, a good basic truth for wherever you are in in and it's so good to come back to Mm -hmm. when you feel overwhelmed or you feel like the day is going terribly or whatever you know working with kids it's like (laughs) things can go wrong at the drop of a hat you can have screaming children crying for whatever um and to just go back to that 
like what are we here for we're here for this um it's a really stabilizing point mm. for me yeah especially when yeah sometimes things get a little overwhelming yeah so talk to me a little bit about um the staff that goes with you because um, this is a different part of your tribe and these are people that just are with you for a week essentially right yeah we call them our colliders uh-huh there so our collider teams we recruit from around the world yeah. they also tend to be third culture kids so oh. that's our goal is that we provide a platform of people who understand each other and like the third culture kid mentors um, for the younger kids we work with and sometimes it doesn't always happen our teams are like majority TCKs and mm -hmm. we also really value the people that come with us that have never left the US and are willing to share in this experience um, and teach kids, you know, some of, some of those important cultural cues. Sometimes yeah. those are the most valuable people we have with us yeah. for teenagers that are getting ready to transition back to the States or back to their passport country, wherever that is. Um, but our teams, yeah, we get them for 10 days. Mm -hmm. um, we have about a month with them total by the time that we have a full team and we start training. We do all of our training online because mm -hmm. they're Everywhere. all over the world, all right. over the states. Um, and, you know, Facebook, social media is a great platform for sending out videos and training material. And then we show up in a country together and we are there for, yeah, about, you know, seven to ten days. Um, and this has actually become, as, as our organization has grown a little bit and our teams have started to get bigger and bigger mm -hmm. um, and the needs of the kids have gotten bigger, I have found that I really love the role that I get to play. A lot of times the hat I'm wearing is conference coordinator, mm -hmm. which is going to these events and just making sure that things run smoothly. Um, and that means that I get to spend time with the team, like with the colliders, more than with the kids. And sometimes I miss the kids, but I've loved stepping into a new area of leadership and getting to invest in a lot of, you know, usually the teams we work with are like 18 to 25 year olds. Um, kids who are people who are in college or are on summer break or taking a gap year or something like that. And yeah, getting to teach them how to lead, which I say loosely because I don't think that I have much, or I don't, you know, like still, I'm still learning so much about leading, um, but getting to pass on what I have learned yeah. and watching them love on other kids. It's just so, it's so special and it's so beautiful. And I love, I, every time, every team I have, I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys are my favorite colliders. And then I have another <laughs> one next month. I'm like, you guys are my favorite. Um, and it's so fun. We just did become this little tiny family for yeah. 10 days. And um, I think that I'm trying to go back to the original question, which is how do, how do I love that part of my tribe well? And I would say that it, you know, it doesn't come naturally to me. To I think the most loving thing that I can do to them or do for them is to trust them mm. and to let them lead and let them learn sometimes learn from their mistakes yeah. and that's hard that's hard to like let go of the control and say yeah. hey you got this like you're gonna teach this lesson you're gonna take this group of kids I'm walking away and I trust that you're gonna do this with excellence and with love and compassion um 
and they do like every single time they do not to say we haven't you know all messed up but it's so yeah that to give over the trust of leadership is challenging but so so valuable and I think so loving what do you I don't know that's just what came to mind when you were talking about leading that or loving that group of people I think that's good. I would love if you talked a little bit about, um, I think that's all genius. When someone on your team does mess up, because I think that this is a challenge of leadership. I know I faced it, but when somebody on your team does mess up and it's your name on the door, Mm -hmm. essentially, Mm -hmm. um, what does it mean to love people well while still providing the coaching required to help them be successful um, in their role? Man, that's good. Yeah. And I can say for sure that I have not always done, or I can think of a lot more examples where I haven't done that well um, than I can think of ones where I have. But as I just get more and more into this and, you know, a little more relaxed when you feel like you know (laughs) how things are going to go. I mean, ultimately, it it is my responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, it is Kaleidoscope's name and my name that may or may not get harmed. Um, and being, like, first, providing training and resources and, like, making sure that these people who are walking into leadership mm-hmm. or even just caring for kids know what they're doing mm-hmm. that's probably huge yeah so that when it comes down to it they have the what it yeah the decision they know what decision to make they know yeah. they have the background to be like okay I, I can trust myself mm-hmm. um and that they're also my responsibility like they're also they're my people yeah. and um my like my loyalty is to them as yeah. well yeah so if a decision is made or something happens um that maybe I don't agree with or maybe a parent doesn't agree with so long as it's not harming a child obviously like I'm talking about kind of your you know just missteps yeah um that it's my responsibility to stand up for them as mm-hmm. well and to yeah. say like hey I do like I told you I trust you and I'm gonna follow that up with the way that I communicate to others or to the kids um even little things like we talk about when we're leading as a team that if someone else is in front of the room in front of the kids that it's never my job to walk in and say oh Miss Grace is wrong we're gonna do it this way instead right um even if I need to communicate that, even right. if a change it, like something right. has happened, the pool's closed, so we can't go there, or the snack mm-hmm. is not provided, whatever, you know, the little yeah. things like that. Um, it's never my job to undermine her authority. Yeah. It is always my job to communicate support and respect to yeah. them as well. Um, and so we do, you know, we do funny little things where I t- tell my teams to like raise their hand, ask, act like you're a kid. Oh, Miss Grace do you know if the pool's open or closed? And yeah. that just like signals to her, hey, maybe there's a problem with the next step in the plan. Yeah. Um, but it's never undermining her authority. It is right. always communicating the same respect that I would want. And I think that's, is that kind of, that's so brilliant. Yeah, it is. It's really brilliant. 
training and trust and like letting teams know that they're trusted. Yeah. Yeah. I remember having a situation in my own business where there was probably the biggest mistake ever made in the 10 year history of the company. And it was made by my assistant and it was made with our biggest client oh, yikes. and, um, and our toughest client. And I expected that we would be fired from that project. And I called the client right away and said, here's what's happened. And she said, <clears throat> let me just say, I was furious. I wanted to fire that assistant on the spot. And my client, my toughest, biggest client said to me, you know what, Dawn, these things happen. And please let your assistant know that these things happen and we're all human and not to worry about it. And she showed me such grace in that moment that I was like, I can't possibly do anything other than show grace to my assistant. And it's just like that Bible verse, right? Wow. That Bible yeah. story. And, and I think it's hard if you are the person with your name on the door and you're used to running everything to say, I'm going to take care of the person. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to honor God and I'm going to let God worry about my reputation. Um, as long as I'm doing what I feel like God is asking me to do, then I shouldn't worry. And trust me, that is so much easier said right. than done. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, I, okay. I love what you said about just trusting people and not undermining their authority and finding positive ways to coach people to excellence and just grace for people when things don't go perfectly. Just like, you know, just like you said, just like we would want. Yes. Um, when we're the ones who mess up. Yeah. Grace yeah. is so huge and so valuable. Yeah. Like there is like you, there's never not enough grace. Yeah. It's yeah. just oh, it's such an amazing it's an amazing thing. Yeah. I'm grateful every day for the grace that God has for us, the grace that my teams have for me because I'm usually the one that's like, "Oh guys, I messed up again. I <laughs> forgot this again. I'm so sorry." And they exhibit amazing grace, and I get to give it yeah. back to them. Yeah. Or hopefully I give it back to them. I think it's contagious. I think the more mm. you give it as a leader, probably the more you get um, as a leader. That's just Lovely. that's just a theory. Um, I do want to talk about your third group, because this is something that, um, I, again, another part of your story I'm fascinated by. This is your full-time staff um, that you have here in the States that keep things running. And you are a nonprofit. And as a nonprofit, it would be really easy to say, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to hire interns, or I'm going to find the cheapest um, labor I can find. And every dollar, um, we want to make sure, you know, that we're just conserving wherever we can. But for you, you have a different approach. It was really important to you from the beginning, one, to hire staff and two, to pay them well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's something that's a, kind of refreshing in a, in a world where so many things, so many people are starting bootstrap business and you know, finding the cheap labor where they can. Tell me why, why was that so important to you from the very beginning? <laughs> it's funny that you asked that question uh, because I've seen our budget recently. <laughs> Some might say it wasn't the wisest decision I made. Um, but yeah, I just, well, I grew up, like I said, I grew up in Central Asia and my parents were missionaries. So mm-hmm. we grew up living on support um, and never, you know, I had friends for sure, that really struggled with that, that yeah. had, you know, beans and rice for months type of thing. Like the horror mm-hmm. stories you hear about the missionaries and the missionary barrel. Like I knew those people. Um, I didn't experience that. I never felt like we were 
wanting something. Um, But I knew that we raised support. I knew that we lived on support. And I actually ended up, um, before I started Kaleidoscope and before I went to college, I volunteered with another mission organization called Youth with a Mission. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a global kind of self-run type of program. Mm -hmm. And there's a base here in New York City, um, on Long Island in New York. And that's where I volunteered for almost five years. Mm. And we were also required to raise our own support. Um, and I love, I love YWAM. I love like traditional missions, but I felt a lot of stress and, um, pressure Mm -hmm. from the financial side of things. And also, um, there were time, there were a lot of times that I felt taken for granted Mm. and that my time and my work was not valued because there was not a dollar. Like, no one was paying me. I was paying myself. Mm -hmm. So, and then uh, it goes the other way, too. I would see people that technically worked full-time for this organization um, and never worked Mm. because there was no one to hold them to a certain standard. There was no... What's that? You know, like the... Accountability. There was no accountability. There was no... There was no room to say you're fired. You can't yeah. fire someone who's volunteering for you. Right, or maybe right. you can and should, but yeah. that's not what I experienced. Yeah. Um, so the combination of those things, you know, the reservations of raising support in the traditional manner, and um, I think the, and the value, like paying someone, mm-hmm. giving someone a dollar amount for the work that they do, communicates that I value you. Yeah. And you know, you can write all the nice encouragement cards and you can send me right. encouragement messages and all of that, uh, which I love to do too. But yeah. there, when it comes down to it saying like, Hey, I value your hour of time this much. Yeah. Um, that just putting a dollar on it, it does communicate something. Yeah. It's so simple. It's uh, and it, sometimes it feels, especially when you're working in ministry or in a nonprofit, um, you know, it feels like, Worldly, mm-hmm. or like we shouldn't like this is supposed to be a passion project, right? Um, why do you have to pay these people? But it's yeah, it's important. Yeah. I really yeah. do. I think it's important. I just yeah. stuck with that, and I trust and believe that God's going to continue to honor that yeah. and help us, you know, mm-hmm. meet bottom line when we need to. Yeah, um, yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, as always, this time goes by way too fast. Oh my gosh. I and there's know. <laughs> way more that we could cover. Um, but this has just been, every time I sit down with you, I'm just sort of fascinated and mesmerized. There's so many facets of your story and Thanks. and uh, uh, that I just love hearing about. But um, we do like to wrap up every podcast with what we call the final five. And these are five questions designed to resource our listeners. Mm. Um, so number one, what other than the Bible... What's one book that changed your life and why? Okay, I hate this question. <laughs> I'm sure that everyone says Fair this. Fair enough. I'm sure. Um, and before I get totally distracted, I just want to say you're so lovely to talk to. You're oh, so easy you. to talk thank to. You. And it's just been so much fun to chat for a few minutes. Thank you. Um, and yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, a book, a book that changed my life. I love to read and I feel like every book I read, you just like learn so much from. Yeah. Um, the one that kept coming to mind is Love Warrior by Glennon mm-hmm. Doyle. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you read it. Mm-mm. 
Yeah, I would say like that's just when I talk when I recommend a book to someone, that's always the one that I recommend. Um, she just has a way of writing and speaking her story with incredible vulnerability and rawness, and it's such a beautiful thing to witness in yeah. a world of like polished Instagrams and. Yeah blog posts and you know everyone wanting to look the best and sound the best and she challenged me I was actually just paging through her book earlier today and I was like I need to read this again there's so much great stuff Um, but she just talks about being real and she talks about um, kind of shaking off some of the expectations of the world and the pressures of the world and her struggle that she went through to get to there Um, but yeah. Oh my goodness. So ch- every page was yeah. so challenging. I loved it. Yeah. And it set me on a really beautiful journey of finding my own voice. Um, yeah. And finding my own, like a, I guess, a more genuine version of myself. Yeah. That ties in with the whole like the identity piece that yeah. definitely I'm still working on. Um, but being able to communicate that better. Yeah. That's so great. Feel very inspired by Glennon. And what podcast are you listening to now? Mm, okay, so I am so late to the podcast game. I, like, I've heard about podcasts for years and years, and I never listened to a podcast until like three months ago. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. I'm very... I'm, and there's I'm so many new. to choose from. It's so many. Yeah, it's overwhelming. So I'm kind of listening to all of them. Every podcast that I can find, I listen to. But um, I listen to them a lot when I'm traveling. Yeah. And my just absolute favorite because it sounds like I'm sitting next to my best friend and we're just chatting. Yeah. Um, Jen Hatmaker has just come out with her new podcast called For the Love. They're on, they're, they're doing different segments. So they're on their second segment, but it's like their fifth or sixth episode now. Uh, so it's really quite new, mm-hmm. but she's just, she's just so fun. Yeah. She's so fun. And they managed to talk about good things, but also just like make you laugh hysterically yeah. and cry. I was in the airport the other day and they were talking about the power of friendship and uh-huh. I'm sitting in the airport alone. I've been traveling for months feeling so lonely and I yeah. just like was just listening to Jen and this other lady talk and just like crying. Like, Aww. can I call and like join this conversation? <laughs> oh, it was so beautiful. I love it. That's yeah. my favorite. Yeah. That's so great. Um, and we will include show notes to both of those um, uh, for this podcast. What is your favorite Bible verse and why? Mm. My favorite Bible verse is Psalm 139, mm-hmm. which it feels like such a cliche answer. I wanted to be like Habakkuk 2, 4. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Psalm 100, it's just, it resonates so much. It's actually yeah. a, a verse that we use um, in some of our curriculum mm-hmm. when we're working with Christian groups mm-hmm. and we rephrased it a little bit, but it just says, mm-hmm. you know, God knows you. He knows everywhere you go. Yeah. Um, and he knows when you're traveling and when you're staying at home and it just speaks so much to the third culture kid mm-hmm. and the child's heart in yeah. both for me and some of the kids we work with. Yeah. So I love that one. Every time I read it, I'm like, yes, Yes, Jesus, thank you for knowing me and knowing me no matter where I am in the world. That's so great. Um, What is some of the best business advice you ever received? Mm, um, The best business advice I ever received, I'm I'm sure I've received so much like good advice, but the thing that sticks with me a lot and I go back to a lot is something 
um, my good friend Hosanna said, and she was just starting out. She's like a couple steps ahead of me in the, you know, starting your own business and brand and stuff. Um, and she said, she's a spoken word artist. So yeah. for her, it was very literal. She said, don't forget to value your small stages mm. um, or don't undervalue your small stages because that's where you learn the hard lessons mm. and you, you know, if you mess up in front of an audience of five, that's okay. Right, it's right. Okay. If you mess up in an audience in front of 5,000, which is now like her regular life, yeah, um, that's a little bit harder to come back from. And yeah. so those small stages, a lot of times I know for myself and I'm sure other people, especially like startup entrepreneurs are like, hey, I want the big, I want, right. the, I want the recognizable name and the right. changing the world and I want to work a conference with 400 kids or 5,000 kids. Um, yeah. And, you know, but the conferences that we work that have five kids yeah those yeah. are not only more fun yeah um, but also incredibly valuable for the steps that we're taking to hopefully get to those yeah that larger audience at some point yeah um, so I love that I go back to it all the time I Small love that stage. I love it's that it's just as important as a big stage yeah absolutely absolutely that's so brilliant what would you what inspiration or what advice would you give to somebody who needs inspiration right now <laughs> I was. Yeah. <laughs> I have a I have a bad answer and then I have a good answer. Um, my, Tell them both. <laughs> we can edit. <laughs> um, my favorite piece of advice is, or piece of encouragement is, you are as beautiful on the inside as you are from behind. <laughs> my second favorite piece of encouragement um, is. This, okay, so like I said, I love to read, and yeah. I'm reading um, Maria Goff's new book, Love mm -hmm. Lives Here, mm -hmm. and she just finished up a chapter on failure, and you know that phrase, when, like, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? Mm -hmm. Well, she like turns it on her head, and she's like, well, what, it, what would you do if you knew you were going to fail, and you just like, we're all in anyways, and... Wow. Yeah, blew my mind. I yeah. was like, oh, I've ne you never think of it that way. You don't want right. to think of it that way. Right. But yeah, like, hey, I'm yeah. probably going to fail. Maybe it's a small failure. Maybe it's a really big one. And this thing that I'm pouring my heart into right now does not work. Yeah. Am I still going to pour my heart into it? Do I still love it as much? Mm. And um, you know, I really thought on that. And I was like, yeah, like right now, what I'm doing, I do. Yeah. If this fails, sure. I'll walk away with my tail between my legs. I'll be heartbroken. I'll be heartbroken. Yeah. Yeah. But I love it, and I love where I'm at. Mm. And even if I fail, we're still gonna like, I'm still gonna give it all now. So, I love that's that. Actually, that's good advice. That's no, that's, <laughs> that's really good, good advice from um, from Maria Goff. I recommend her book too. Excellent. So tell us um, where can we find you online. Where can you find me online? Uh, you can find Kaleidoscope at www. Okay, Kaleidoscope is potentially the hardest word to spell in the English language. <laughs> so if you spell Kaleidoscope with no vowels, then you get to our website. It's kldscp.org. And we're the same on Instagram and Twitter and all of the above. Great. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This is honestly just 
life-giving, joyful time spent with you. Thank you so much for doing this. I'd like to thank my guest, Jesse Vance of Kaleidoscope, for joining me today. For more information about Jesse, including show notes from today's episode and where to find Jesse online, visit donsadler.com slash Jesse, J-E-S-S-I. This has been the Your Purpose is Calling podcast. I'm your host, Don Sadler. To hear more conversations with Christians who are finding their purpose, redefining work, and changing their world, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. Have thoughts or questions about today's episode? Join the conversation by following me on Instagram at Don Sadler. Thank you for listening.